0: So if you have your Bible, you want to open to Matthew chapter 1, right there, the smack dab, very first page of your New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, that's where we're going to be. I'm excited today because we are beginning a new series, uh, a new series that's titled Christmas with Us. As I said last week, Christmas brings people together, brings relatives home there are events and there are parties to attend, but even more than that, Christmas brings people together with Jesus. And during Christmas, we learn, we learn that Christ came to be with us. There is a newness that comes each year with Christmas. It's a great time. It is a great time because we discover new acceptance. There are, are new experiences. And there are new beginnings. You get a chance to, to meet new people and even make new memories. And so that's what I hope Christmas becomes for you. I hope tonight we have some new memories. I think what we've already done in here this morning will create some new memories uh, for us as a church. And I hope we're able to continue uh, continue to build on that. So over the next coming weeks, this is what we're talking about. Today, as you see, we're talking about new beginnings. And then next Sunday, we're going to talk about new beliefs. And then on the twenty-third, we're going to talk about new birth as we talk about what that means to us as we look at the birth of Jesus and what that means to us individually as, as followers of Christ. Well it seems like it seems like and this may not always be true but it seems like more and more and more people are beginning to show a deep interest in where they come from. Am I right? And we sort of ask those questions. You know, we're also interested in other people's stories. A lot of times when people meet someone for the first time and they get to talking, you know, a lot of times the small talk turns into, well, you know, where are you from? Where did you Where did you grow up? Where did you live? We want to know those things, you know. When I meet a lot of people now, they naturally assume that I'm from this area. They assume that I'm from South, uh, that I'm from South Georgia. Uh, they'll ask me if, if I went to, uh, to Thomas County Central High School, or they'll ask me uh, if, uh, if I went to Thomasville High School. They never ask if I went to Scholars Academy. I don't understand that. I don't know. I don't know why they don't ask me that, but they don't. Something about it. They just... Assume I didn't go there. But I have to tell them, no, I didn't grow up here. You know, I grew up, I grew up in the Atlanta area. That's kind of where my, where my people are, where my, story, where my story begins. And so I get to talk about those things from up there. But we want to know those things. You know, where did you grow up? Who are your parents? And there are all kinds of websites now and, and software that help to facilitate these things. You know, there's, there's Ancestry.com. Uh, one of the big things right now is this 23andMe, where you send off some of your spit, all right? I mean, let's just call it what it is. You send off some of your spit, and they test it, and they send you back this profile, and you find out what your origins are, okay? And what a lot of people have discovered is not everybody is Scotch-Irish, okay? Because that's what we all say. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Scotch-Irish. You know, that's what everybody goes to but as you start doing these things and they start doing this DNA testing you realize man I've got a lot more in me than just a couple of things we kind of come together from all parts from all places and all kinds of people come together uh, there's other ones called uh, called family historian and that's kind of a that one's like really making a lot of noise right now because it's supposed to be like the the, the easiest to use some of you like me may function as your family historian. That's something that I've always had an interest in because I have an interest in history, and I like stories. And so for some reason, as a kid, I got very interested in learning where I came from. And so I began to study all about my my family and learned that there was this, this name that runs through my family that goes way back into the 1800s is Andrew. My middle name is, is Andrew, of course, and I am the sixth Andrew in, in our line, and I was able to keep that tradition going by passing that name along to, to Jackson. He is the seventh Andrew with our line, and it's kind of just a, a family name that we have passed down for, for generations and generations and generations. Well, the thing that I have discovered in doing uh, family history research in tracing uh, progeny, and that's checking who your descendants are. What I have found when you start shaking the family tree, you're bound to find a few nuts. Can I get an amen? Every now, let's just let's just go ahead and establish that right now. Just in case, and, and just in case you think you're special, I want you to know you're not that special. Every family has. Nuts. Can we just say that together? That would make me feel a lot better. Every family has nuts. Good. Now that we've established that, let's talk about some of the nuts that are out there. In, uh, in 2015, 2015, Ben Affleck discovered some of the nuts in his family. He went on, uh, on PBS and he filmed the, the documentary Finding Your Roots, and what he found was not very pleasant to him. In fact, it was a source of, of shame for him. And it was something that he wanted to hide from, uh, from the world because as they started digging and digging and digging and digging, it found out that there were some ancestors in his family tree who were, who were slave owners. And so he said, he, he tried to block them from, from showing this. And he said, you know, I was embarrassed left a very bad taste in my mouth. I didn't want any television show about my family to include a guy who, who owned slaves. You know, and, and I think that, you know, it's not uncommon for us, as we start to talk about the details of our family, which is, we start to share, you know, kind of our, our origin story and, and who our people are, it is not uncommon to withhold details within our family trees, right? It's not uncommon to kind of hold on to the events that might might bring about some shame or or bring about some hurt within our our families. And, And many, if we're honest, many, if not most families, have a few skeletons in their closet that they don't want getting out. Am I right about that? Good. So what I want us to do this morning is I want each person to stand up and share your family skeletons. I mean, we're family, right? Anybody want to go first with that? I'm not, I usually go first. I'm not doing that today. No takers. Yeah. Why don't we want to do that? Because she's like, I'm not doing that. Okay. I know who the nuts are in my family. I don't need everybody else to know who the nuts are. Okay. By the way, let me just add this. Let me just, and, I, and I mean this in the kindest way possible. If you don't know who the family nuts are in your family tree, it's probably you. Okay, now then, and again, I mean that in the kindest way possible, but it might be you. Okay, it might be you. We all have that. You know, it kind of goes on, uh, but we see this all over the place. Uh, here's here's Glennis's people right here. She's, see, this is for Glennis. When the, when Prince Harry proposed to actress Meghan Markle, you know, there were some people that claimed that the engagement was was controversial because uh, because Meghan is biracial and because she had been divorced before. You see, now there were some people that might want to hide this bit of history from their prince or king's royal uh, lineage, but they chose not to. God save the queen. But it's also not uncommon for people want to, to want to sort of just, just blow those kinds of things off as an anomaly, as a, as a glitch, as a minor bump in the road or a slight irregularity. But here is something that I've noticed as you read this first chapter of Matthew, Matthew is not at all about trying to hide the bumps in the past. Okay, He is not about trying to cover up or to prune the family tree. He's not about trying to take the nuts out of the tree so everything looks nice and neat. He has left them in there, and I think that's a great, great story. It's a great, great story for us. He stuns the world with this unlikely list of names that are found in the tree of Jesus. And you know, as you read this this list, this genealogy that, that you know, you, sometimes we wonder why the genealogy is in there. We wonder what's the deal with all of these names. As you read these names, here's something that I want to say, and it's that Jesus had a pretty shady family tree. Okay? He had a pretty shady family tree, and not shady in a good way. Because as we work through this list in just a minute, It's not a who's who list of faith. It's not a list of people who just, you know, they always have these perfect lives and they always do good and they always follow God. You know, and a, a lot of times we like to put that out there like that's how we live. Have you noticed that? If you haven't, spend just a few minutes on social media, okay? Because what you see is you see snapshots of people's life. We don't get the whole story and what we present is not always what is going on, and it just sort of seems like there are some people out there whose balloon never seems to land. You know, it just always, always stays afloat. It's because we don't want people to know these things about us. Matthew is not about that at all. He says, hey, here is Jesus, the Son of God, royal, prince of peace, king of kings. Oh, and by the way, Here are some of his relatives. Matthew wants us to see what kind of people God chooses to work with, people like you and me. And he also wants us to see that God is able to redeem anyone for his purposes. Do you hear that? So if you are the nut in your family tree, there's hope for you. Okay, But if you're not the nut in your family tree, guess what? You still need redemption. We all need redemption. We all need a turnaround. We all need a restart. We need something to be changed out in us. And Matthew is saying, hey, look, you see this list of people? There's some really great ones here. But as John said, there's also some knuckleheads in the list. But God can use knuckleheads just like he can use people who are great and seem to, to seem to have it all together. Okay, Matthew normalizes, he normalizes what some might consider anomalies. But instead of anomalies, what if we began to see each person or see each embarrassing event as an opportunity for God to start something new? So let's take a look at Matthew's family tree, starting in chapter 1. an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez, Zerah, by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Aram. Aram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Solomon fathered Rehoboam. Rehoboam fathered Abiah. Abiah fathered Asa. Asa fathered Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat fathered Joram. Joram fathered Uzziah. Uzziah fathered Jotham. Jotham fathered Ahaz. Ahaz fathered Hezekiah. Hezekiah fathered Manasseh. Manasseh fathered Amon. Amon fathered Josiah, and Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Shealtiel. Shealtiel fathered Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel followed, fathered Abiud. Abud fathered Elakim, Elakim fathered Azor, Azor fathered Zadok, Zadok fathered Achim. Achim fathered Eliud, Eliud fathered Eleazar, Eleazar fathered Methan, Methan fathered Jacob, and Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to, to Jesus who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the exile of Babylon, 14 generations. And from the exile of Babylon until the birth of Christ, 14 generations. Now, that's a mouthful to say all those names, right? I started to call on somebody just to have them read those because that's really funny to do. I assigned that to somebody for call to worship one time. That person no longer goes here. <laughs> I don't know that it has anything to do with that, but I think those events are pretty closely related. Therefore, I don't assign that text as a public reading anymore. I try to do them myself. But there is some great there are some great lessons to learn. From this part of Scripture that, let's be honest, how many of us usually skip over this part of the Bible? Yeah, we do. Why? But one, because those names are so hard to say. I mean, really, who names their kid Shealtiel? You know, it doesn't flick off the tongue. Zerubbabel. Okay? You know, if we... Please, maybe not. But it, should we have another child... Zerubbabel Bennett is not on the list of names we're choosing from. Okay, chances are pretty good we're not choosing from this list at all. Okay, but we wonder why did Matthew, and and Luke has one of these as well, why do they take the time to write all of this down? Well, it's just like us wanting to know our family story. Okay, when you start doing ancestry stuff, really what you're doing is you're learning the story right? And there are very important lessons. Just like we can learn from our own past and from the mistakes of the people in our past, we can also learn from the mistakes and the past and the successes in the past of those in the life of Jesus. One of the things you may or may not have noticed is that Jesus comes from a, a rich, royal line. Okay? Going all the way back to King David. Okay? And then there's Solomon and there's Uzziah and there's Asa and there's Josiah and there's so many more kings okay he comes from a a rich royal line you know and Matthew kind of goes over the top wanting his readers to know this he very easily could have chosen to highlight only the the faithful the successful Jewish men but when you begin to study this And if you know your your Old Testament history, you realize, man, he hasn't done that at all. Because alongside the heroes, Matthew also includes adulterers. He includes prostitutes. He includes Gentiles. And the biggest scandal of them all, he includes women. Okay? Okay? This was just something that was not done in this culture, in this this context. The list includes wicked kings who fathered good kings, who fathered scoundrels. Matthew's list consists of 42 men, but also also five women. And there's a great lesson that we learn from this genealogy, And it's that redemption is possible and that God can use anyone with a willing heart. Amen? God can use anybody no matter what your past is. And so you might be skeptical about your ability to share Christ with others because of some undesirable parts of your history or because of of some shame in your family. Well, here is a newsflash. Your lineage, your lineage is not pure, right? None of our lineage is pure. Your lineage, my lineage is not pure. But here's the good news, neither was Jesus. His lineage wasn't pure either. And we find that out by diving into this list right here. You know, it's very easy to think about Jesus and, and, and we know that Jesus was perfect. We know he lived a sinless life. But I think oftentimes we forget to look at the people that surrounded Jesus, the people he interacted with, and the people from which he came. And it's important to do that because we see that Jesus' people had some problems. You know, you might wonder, <coughs> you might be wondering, why... Why did why did Matthew choose to include all of those women in his list? You have Tamar. You know what Tamar did? Do you remember? She did a sweet little thing by committing incest with her father-in-law. Yet there she is on the list. Then there's Rahab. Remember Rahab? Anybody remember what her profession was? Prostitute. Not just prostitute, Canaanite prostitute. Okay? And if you remember your Old Testament, it's the Canaanites who are always, always, always for a long time trying to just wipe out Israel. Okay? They don't want anything to do with Israel, yet you have this Canaanite prostitute who ends up hiding the spies Do you remember that story well then there's then there's Ruth 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 has her own book in the Old Testament and it is an incredible story if you've never read it I encourage you to read it it's it's like four chapters long you can read it in one sitting but it is a great story about a Moabite woman a Moabite woman who was, was, was not even permitted to worship in the temple of God. Then there's Bathsheba, and everybody knows about Bathsheba. Even if they don't go to church, people know about Bathsheba. Okay, And I think a lot of times she gets a bad rap when everything that went on in that story was done to her by none other than God's king, David. God's anointed king, David. Remember that story? She's out there bathing. He's taking a stroll. Just happens to see her. Doesn't avert his eyes. But he has her brought over and then he takes her for his own pleasure. Okay? And as if As if that were not bad enough, she becomes pregnant. And instead of doing the right thing, owning up, fessing up, apologizing, making amends, he has his commander send her husband to the front lines of the battle where the fighting is most fierce so that he'll be killed. And guess what? That happens. Uriah even after Uriah tried to bestow honor on his king, David still still had him killed and, and, and covered all of this up. But Bathsheba, Bathsheba is right there in the genealogy. She has a a marred past, you know, and that that's one of the things too. And and, and we're, we see this this is this is prominent today. And, and, and ladies, you can you can. Affirm this with an amen if you would like to. But it seems like when when something is done to a female, it marks them. When something, sexual assault, sexual abuse, is done to a female, that tends to stay with them. Am I right about that? That's what happened to Bathsheba. Yet here she is in the genealogy Of Jesus. And then last but not least, Jesus' very own mother, Mary. We know that story too, don't we? She's engaged, but not married. She's not married, but she's pregnant. There is scandal around her. You know, Joseph was an honorable guy, and he was going to put her away secretly. There is scandal, okay? He has every right. He could have her put to death by his rights, okay? He could have her put to death, and God would have been okay with that because that was law, and he was going to put her away quietly, but he was a stand-up guy, and he didn't, and then an angel of the Lord spoke to him. But Mary is right there on this list, in this genealogy, in this genealogy of of, of Jesus. There are quite a few characters in the past of Jesus, both in in men and women. Jesus was not born as a, a, a pure person in the terms as we think of it, because as you look through there, you see You've got Gentiles that are woven in throughout, in and out of the story, but he was born as an ordinary person, in an ordinary way, with moral and, and ethnic impurity in his ancestry. Just as we all have. And what Jesus, and I think what Matthew wants us to understand, is that a genuine part of our faith is knowing that even with where we come from with our family history and with our perceived failures we can still stand in all of God's love forgiveness mercy and grace it doesn't matter what is in your past it doesn't matter what you have done it doesn't matter what you have said God can forgive that and not only forgive that God can redeem that. Have you ever met somebody who they've, you know, they've got a, a checkered past, but then that somebody met Jesus and now they tell you about that past? They use that past for His glory? Have you ever known somebody like that? Things that we would never talk about, that we wouldn't want anyone to know about us, when we trust that story with Jesus and we trust our lives to Jesus and he changes us, he then, through through something that I completely really don't understand, he gives us the ability to take this thing that was our past, that was our source of shame, and use it to bring glory to his kingdom. I don't understand that. But I'm always amazed when I hear people share those kinds of stories. And so there's a there's a point that 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 is being made here. We've read what I say, forty two men and, and five women names. It's a lot of names in a list, right? Most of us, we can only go two, three, maybe four generations back. Some may be a little more than that. We can name a few names. When we look at the genealogy of Jesus, there's something that we have to take away from this, and it's this that your name means something. Your name means something. It may not be publicly recognized. But your name is important because your name matters to God. Does that make sense? Your name matters to God. And if you are a Christian, you are in this lineage. This is your story. This is us. Okay? This is is us. You may believe that God is unlikely to use you, but your name is on God's list. Right there with David, right there with Ruth, right there with Rahab. The people in Matthew chapter 1 are not perfect. They're far from it. But each name represents not only God's ability to use everyday people, but it also represents His desire to use those people so here's the point I want to make this morning and it's simply this that God works through you to start something new there might be trouble in your past okay there might be some embarrassing things chances are pretty good there are I've got things in my past that I'm not proud of okay and that might be where you are this morning. That you look back over your life and you realize, wow, you know I did this and I did that and I did this. And I said this and I hurt that person there and this family's kind of mad at me. And you know you got some things in your past. Those things they don't have to they don't have to define you. Okay? That's not who you are. Those are just things you've done. Who you are is what we just sang. I'm a child of God. That's who you are. No matter what anybody wants to try to hang on you, and we do that, don't we? We hang labels on people. He's a liar, she's a cheater. That's not who you are. That might be what you've done, but that is not who you are. You are a child of God whose name is on the list of God if your life is found in Jesus Christ. God wants to start something new through you. Maybe you don't have a legacy of faith in your family. That's the something new. Maybe you don't have, uh, you know, maybe you're, yeah, okay. I do this Christian thing, I do this church thing, but you don't have a, uh, there's, there's no, um, there's no devotional life or anything like that going on. Start something new. Be the, be the first link in the chain connected to the anchor. Start something new. God wants to do that. See, when God changes your story, when God changes your story, He can change the whole trajectory of your life. A lot of the people in Jesus' genealogy, they never met each other, but they moved God's plan further along. Do you realize that that is the role that God has for each and every one of us? but just like these people like like Ruth and Tamar and, and Rahab and Solomon who had a lot of ladies in his life all of those people advanced the story of God Hebrews writes a hall of fame was it around there Hebrews chapter 11 you go through and you read that, and you know whose name you find in that Hall of Fame? Rahab the prostitute, because she trusted in God. God will use you. If you are willing, God will use you to advance his kingdom, to advance the story of Jesus to those you come in contact with and to future and to future generations. And you'll be a blessing to those you meet. We have to remember, God wants to start something new in us. A lot of people will try to steal that, try to take it away. Want to tell us a different story. Want us to believe something about ourselves that is not true, is not what God intended. We always talk about what is God's plan for my life. I don't know. Okay, I don't know. I don't know what God wants me to do tomorrow. I don't have specifics of those things. I I, I think very few people do. I think we can generally know, I think God wants us to love him with everything we've got. I think he wants us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Love God, love others. That's the will of God in our lives. And how that manifests itself and how that nuances is going to be different. It's going to vary from person to person to person. How You show your love is going to be different from how another person shows their love. But that is what God calls us to do. And so as we are in the second week of this this season of Advent, the season that, that celebrates the birth, the coming of Jesus, the first Advent, we can't forget that it also reminds us of the next Advent, when Jesus returns. And in that time, our job is to love God and to love others. And so maybe, maybe that's the new that God wants to start in you. Maybe you've not loved others the way that you should have. Maybe it's been all about you. Now, There's a lot of times in my life where it's been all about me and all about what I wanted. And it's so easy, it's so easy to kick back into that, right? Because it's easy to think about ourselves first. But God calls us to something bigger. He calls us to a new beginning. What is it that God wants to begin in you? Let's pray together.